Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we're speaking with Dr. Blair Williams and Dr. Kim Hewan from the ANU about multiculturalism and its representation in popular food media. All right, let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name is Steph Postuma with my co-host, as always, Simon Evans. Morning. And we find ourselves here at the ANU in Canberra with Dr. Blair Williams and Dr. Kim Hewan. Welcome, guys. Hi. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Guys, um, we start our podcast with an acknowledgement of country. Um, so today, um, and it is NADOC week this week, we must mention as well, uh, today we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land where we are gathering here today and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right, guys, let's kick off the podcast. Um, this is an interesting one for us, and it's great to be able to talk to a couple of academics like yourselves, uh, particularly about this issue, because I think that um, beyond you know some of the work that you've done and the writing that you've done, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to multiculturalism and food in Australia. Um, you know, it's such a, a deep and broad subject that we can talk about for probably ever. But I think to kick off, um, it's probably important we get a background of uh, what you guys do, what you guys sort of work on in your sort of academic sphere. So, Blair, we'll start with you. Um, I'm a gender politics scholar, <laughs> so I mostly focus on uh, media coverage of uh, women politicians, prime ministers, that kind of stuff. But I'm more, f- uh, I'm generally quite focused um, and interested on uh, the media in general. Um, you know how the media portrays things, covers things, um, whether it's women or you know racism, um, sexism, homophobia, that kind of stuff. Um, and I also teach. Um, a lot of different courses like race and representation and politics as well um, as refugee politics with my colleague Kim. Um, so yeah, we're gen- I'm generally quite fo- uh, interested in those in those kinds of areas. Okay, Kim? Uh, I'm a part-time scholar, so I teach refugee politics with Blair, teach political philosophy, um, I food-related sort of. I host a ABC Radio Canberra program called Sunday Brunch. We talk a bit about food amongst many other things. And I uh, grew up working in a Vietnamese bakery in Canberra. Love it. Awesome. Um, Okay, well, to get started, uh, we sort of became aware of you you guys based on an article in the conversation that you wrote. Was it it last year or this year? No, it was this year. This year? Yeah, Yeah. a couple of... September. Not long ago. Yeah, September. Okay, sorry. I read a lot of conversation (laughs) articles. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and the article's titled Channel 7's Plate of Origin Shows How Australian Multiculturalism is Defined by White People. So, um, Blair, why don't you just get us started? For people, obviously, not everyone who's listening to this podcast has read this article, but I mm. urge them to do so. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about, you know, maybe we start off by giving people the premise of Plate of Origin, what the show is, and then get into what your article discusses. Yeah, sure. I mean, as a white person, just acknowledge that one because uh, your viewers can't see me. Sorry, listeners can't see me. Um, I think it's you know something that's impo- important to critique, um, you know, in general, um, th- these kinds of shows. And Plate of Origin is a cooking show, as we know, um, that was essentially a competition between uh, teams of two two people um, that were framed as say Team China or Team Australia, Team uh, how many teams? Are team Vietnam, Team India, yeah, all those uh, you know ten, yeah. ten teams. Um, and it was framing this as a competition of you know which which cuisine is better essentially. Um, so they had to compete with each other in, in a series of comp- um, in a series of a uh, you know. Um, different tests essentially uh to see supposedly who was the best cook and who decided this was a you know a panel of white judges essentially um and it was just quite interesting in how that was portrayed not only you know uh, competing um these different so-called countries cuisines uh but also having a team australia full of two white men and being um judged by a panel of fellow white men Mm -hmm. and and this i should say this was blair's idea and I'm just the token um, brown and yellow guy. And even then it's, hey it's, it's compromised because it would be a banana for many people. Oh my so God. that's the great hypocrisy of our article, that the, the power dynamics that we were critiquing in the show were actually reflected in the writing of the article. I was just doing the, the legwork and the editing and she was like pushing me around and you used me for the, the representation sort of value. So, so th- but there's the, I think over, there's, we've got several critiques of the show that we lay out in the article, but... Um, and, and the acronym we do know the editors kicked it out is, is poo plate yeah. of origin right? but <laughs> yeah. we, so that, we poo poo on the show but <laughs> yeah. in part it's because it does a disservice to Australian food Australian society Australian culture which is much richer and more dynamic mm. than that yep. You know what I mean? It, it's not that, that we, we poo-poo on the, the idea of multicultural food or the idea of separating of celebrating it but but that show did a great disservice uh, I think in many ways uh, to mm. to um, the, the the wondrous reality of Australian multicultural mm. life. And, it, was, and it, was just, it was quite a confusing show in general. They they never really mm. laid out like like it was the whole time I was watching. It was like what's the what's the point here? Like what mm. are, what are they what are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to prove? Are they trying to like are these people the best chefs they could find who fit into their team China team? Yeah, team how Columbia? did they find like, the chefs? Yeah, like mm. how do they find these people? Um, whoever wins, what does that say about something? Like why are they? Why is there a $100,000 prize for this? Like, Mm. it was all just quite confusing the whole way through, I found. Yeah, so, I mean, sort of delving into this sort of disservice to multiculturalism, can we talk a bit about how these different cultures were represented on the show? Um, I mean... The, obviously, the production of the production of the show sort of had had, you know, you've got the the villainous French, the oh, yes. the the sassy Venezuelans, mm-hmm. the like are these are these sort of stereotypes that that we should be worrying about the way that these people were produced in 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 such ways. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think, I mean, in in some senses. That that term essentialize is important. I, I don't mind that there is a sassy South American and they're red blooded and all that. And and I, I don't. 
I, I think if you look at the particular teams, it's more that they're expected to fulfill those roles. They, they, they were mm. on show to fulfill certain roles and they didn't have a huge amount of room to push those boundaries. And when they did actually, it became quite... Um, quite uh, irksome and 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 difficult uh, in, in the sense, for particularly some. Um, if you judge on dessert and and mm. your and your cuisine doesn't fit into the three uh, Anglo Francophile judges' ideas of dessert, then mm. then you're going to be in a, in a bit of woe, right? They didn't have the capacity to deal with that. Yeah, it was very Eurocentric in, in yeah. how they saw food and and main courses and entrees and desserts and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and, and just desserts in general, I think, is a problem with MasterChef and, and other shows. Um, every time you have a so-called like Asian team or Asian person, um, you know, and they cook um, traditionally Asian desserts, a lot of the times the judges um, very much judge that and, you know, I'll ask them to essentially Eurocent- like Eurocentri- Eurocentrize it. Um, you Sounds know, like a word. Euro- Europeanize it maybe. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and in a sense, there's a hierarchy there because a show like so these sort of shows can work, but you should in turn reflect upon um, uh, what is standard food, what is white food, what is European food. Mm. Like, uh, for instance, um, for instance, there, there is a distinctive discrimination of, of, of sweet and sour, I think, I think. Uh, I'm not an mm. expert in this, in, in, in the fact that there is a dessert and there's a savoury main and entree, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but for Southeast Asians, uh, yeah, I have to go to any restaurant. Sweet and sour is mixed up everywhere and salty. <laughs> you have watermelon mm. with chilli and salt. You know what mm. I mean? And, and I, I don't mind those comparisons and those differences, but one should... But the show set a hierarchy in which this is sort of distinction of taste um, is is the is how all these other cultures will be judged. Mm. Yeah, I mean that was the it might be the thing's the first episode, um, and the Chinese team did a dessert, and it yes. was it was it and you know all the other contestants judging it said the same thing was it, it's not sweet enough. Um, mm. But that I mean that comes down to the cultural or, or you know history of their, their cuisine that that's, that's the way desserts are. And desserts don't have to be. There's no rule. Desserts have to be mm. sweet. Like, yeah, yeah. desserts the, the final yeah. course. Like. My Chinese mate has a great line. I don't do sweets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a particular type of yeah. Chinese too, isn't I mean, it? Because he's from an area where they don't really do the sweets. Yeah. So and even and then it's countries complex. Countries develop different palates from the food they eat. So, mm. I mean, so what, what can be sweet? And, you know, everyone has a different palate and where they, they perceive taste. So mm. what is sweet to someone else, can be like just a little bit of sugar, can be mm. um, completely you know, savoury to, to another person. Mm. So it, it very much is, uh, is dictated dictated by the way uh, the, the way your palate's developed and the, the you know, history of your cuisine and what you've grown up eating and all, all these different things. But if we're looking at the two the teams too, there's an issue with the Australian team, mm. um, <laughs> Stu and I think it was Evan, I can't remember, but mm. that, that they, like, once again, I, I'm not, if you did this a bit tongue-in-cheek, I'd sort of laugh a bit, but it wasn't. It was earnestly, the Australian team is the norm, it's two white yeah. blokes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and wh- where where was the indigenous team? So many people were saying indigenous Australian team. Or well, wh- why would the you know they, they made choices? This is uh, the the the, uh, the producer of this show. They they make choices. Mm. They can make choices about being exciting, about being diverse, about being dynamic, or they can choose um, to reinforce existing stereotypes. That's a fine. That's your choice. But what what was mostly uplifting about the show, and I didn't get any um, pleasure out of this, but that it bombed. It bombed <laughs> and it showed this is not what 
Australians. It bombed in like still hundreds of thousands of people watching yeah. it, but far less so than the other show. They played shows. the last three episodes on the same night to mm. get it over with. To That's give right. it kind of I mean, the pleasure I got was um, that the Australian team lost in a meat pie challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that was... Blair, do you, what, we can talk about this choice a little bit more. So, mm. I mean, these shows historically now especially things like MasterChef and My Kitchen Rules and those sorts of things have been the highest rating shows in Australia, essentially. Like, really, really popular. And and really influential on, you know, how food culture runs, the demands of the public, what people consume and what people buy. Like, they set trends. They, they put... They put uh, professional chefs as judges on, like, on a, giving giving them a huge platform and a huge profile because they are the people that have they sort of sit in between popular culture and um, the hospitality industry mm. and can sort of drive decision making in those things. They're they're hugely influential. How do how do you see these choices being made? Where people are sitting in a room like we are now, this conference room at the ANU. And are making decisions about what this show is going to be and and how we're going to try to sell it because like at the end of the day they just want to get as much viewers as they can that's their ultimate goal, yeah. and they made the choice to represent Australia as two white men who are just your your Aussie larrikins that love meat and three veg which they cooked in one of the episodes <laughs> as like a fine dining sort of style dish as their example of what Australian cuisine is is this is, is this sort of I mean how does this reflect our media landscape like is this just more of the same sort of thing and people aren't starting to realize you know the opportunity that that we sort of talked about before Mm, i think um the interesting thing and i guess why this show perhaps was um quite shocking in a way was that it came out i think a few weeks after the um the media report um that showed how little diversity there is in in mainstream media in australia um you know looking at channel seven uh, or abc or channel 10 all the different mainstream channels um and showing you know it, it showed essentially that there are hardly any uh, faces of color on, on our tv screens that is predominantly white and then you have um you know the show come out and it it shows the promise of multiculturalism um of diversity but the way it does it is is to to exoticize them um to to portray them as different and it's not you know not quite australian so to make those decisions i mean i guess it's reflective of the media industry being so damned white um but also, I mean, I, I was sitting there watching the show going, why even have a Team Australia? If you're having a competition of different cuisines, why not just have all the other cuisines? Why not have a Team UK if you want to have, you know, like that kind of Anglo white people food? Uh, or why not have an Indigenous team? Um, I mean, it's fantastic Indigenous um, chefs. Uh, you know, we've seen um, Indigenous uh, ingredients and foods in recent years and say like MasterChef. Um, or SBS. I mean, why not do those things? So as Kim was saying, these, these are con- conscious choices that are being made um, and they're made to, I guess, reinforce the status quo in, in our country. Mm. Do you, have you seen, have you, have you sort of kept in touch with what was happening on the last season of MasterChef? I Has love it? MasterChef. Yeah, it's okay. a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was a contrast from MasterChef to to Plate of Origin. Yeah. Um, from the, from the, the new judges, um, you know, with um, Melissa Leong, um, who is fantastic on MasterChef? I think she's a cult following on MasterChef. Uh, to to play of origin with like three white dudes. Mm. And uh, I think in the last season, I I haven't been watching MasterChef, but in the last season, sort of, um, you know, it just so happened that something like six out of the last eight contestants were Asian, and um, you've Oof. got an Asian judge as well, and they they really um 
they really chose to focus in on th- the fact that this happened, creating sort of shows and producing pieces with people bringing in, you know, family family recipes, family photos mm. and things and, and celebrating their Asian heritage. Like, do you see, do you see sort of MasterChef perhaps getting it right and, and, and sort of being being on a path to something something that's a bit more representative and you know a bit more 2020 <laughs> I mean, when it I comes to food Mas- media I have critics of MasterChef as well I mean yeah. you say that uh, I can't remember the numbers but you said 6 out of 8 I can't remember something yeah. like that I mean yeah. I remember there were a lot of Asian contestants and it was fantastic and I was on Twitter watching uh, you know reading a lot of the comments um, from renowned Asian Australian chefs um, here um, but then you get to the grand final and it's between two white women Mm. So I find that interesting how they like kind of whittle it down through what I see um, as kind of like Eurocentric food challenges. Um, mm. You know, whether it's a challenge that tries to, what was it, uh, fine dine uh, different uh, cuisines around the world. Um, that was a quite a notorious episode that got a bit of flack. Mm. Um, or other challenges that um, were, were based on, you know, a lot of, I guess, European um, ingredients and, and styles of cooking. And so I think, I don't know, to me, I, I see MasterChef as a potential of... Um, Saying that can go well, but currently there's still, uh, you know, a lot of things to critique in, in that sense. Mm. Um, they still have a lot of improving to do, I think, um, to be truly mm. representative. Mm. Yeah, you you outline in your article sort of um, a quote from Jock Zonfrillo uh, as a part of MasterChef where mm. he talks about Asian, Asian ingredients not automatically lending themselves to fine dining. <laughs> and... Uh, Really, really great response from Adam Lior on yeah. Twitter where he says, Asian cuisines are full of fine dining, Kaiseki, Confucian cuisine, Thai and Vietnamese court cuisine, almost any regional cuisine in China, Peranakan food. It's just that Eurocentric conceptualization of Michelin, world's best 50, etc. Mm. constantly ignores it. Hashtag MasterChef AU. Um, yeah, like I, I guess... It's just another. It's just another indication that uh, you know. I mean, that's just quite. A, it's quite a trope. The mm. same as that, like you know, Asian cuisine can't do desserts. It's it's just like it's a thing that <coughs> just kind of is 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 in people's heads. They just think it's a fact, um, when it's, it's you know, demonstrably not. Um, but there seems like there's plenty of those things um, mm. in that kind of area. Um, and even when it, when it's just quite obvious. I mean, Michelin are in in Asia quite heavily now, and and do rate lots of restaurants there. So it's mm. it's such a strange that that's kind of still permeated in people's uh, psyche and even someone who's on telly and is about to like, I'm going to say this mm. um, thinking like he's confident enough that that was like a true fact that everyone will agree <laughs> with and that that will just you know just fly with with the contestants he's sailing to and on that episode they got um, a white man in to, to gentrify and you know the food um, I can't remember the chef's name but you know he's known for traveling the world and then taking those recipes from different cultures and fine dining them in quote marks um, which is just you know quite ridiculous so I guess yeah Jock felt it was okay to say those things because of the whole premise of the show, uh, of the episode, which is, I don't know, what do you think, Kim? Uh, maybe I'll go back and I'll make a couple of points about choices. Mm. I thought the key choice in, in making the show Plate of Origin was around the judges, that yeah, they had agree. three blokes that were hanging around who had a big histories and they thought they could make money uh, off those three blokes, right? Mm. Um, so so it's a rather conservative <laughs> decision. I, I'm not saying... Um, uh, I'm not... And I'm judging it in some ways, but but mostly because out of interest, I wonder if it relates to... I remember they're coming off shows um, that have had rocky histories with their previous associates. Mm. Uh, Colin Barris through um, his restaurants and not paying people. 
uh, and and Steve Evans too, and Pete. some of his oh, Peter Pete Evans. Evans. <laughs> my apologies, yeah. and some of his um, uh, arguably wacky ideas. So uh, it coincides. <laughs> Should we say arguably? Should we say arguably? So, <laughs> so the choice of so so at the same time, I, and there's no. I just wonder about the. Um, whether that's a statement, those choice about the judge. It's a conservative statement, I think one can say that. But if it does run in parallel with a certain white old bloke backlash, and this is mm. uh, uh, Trump's been elected out, it seems now, but this all goes around at the same time of this vibe in the world that there's a very strong black backlash of white blokes who feel like times are changing and this is their last stand. And, and that sort of ran along that decision, I think, to choose these old blokes. Their mates had been discredited. For, for their craziness, for their ripping other people off. But, but we have to reassert their position in society as great judges, as the figureheads mm. of, of taste, of, 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 uh, uh, of nutrition, of all those other things that food represents, of culture. And so, that, so that's, I think that was one of the key choices of the show and, and that how it relates to a time, a certain vibe in politics and, and an anxiety around older blokes. Mm. And the other interesting, and the more, and because I'm a wanker and I'm a, I do politics and philosophy, <laughs> I am interested more in, in the broader choice that we make about watching reality TV and food shows in particular. Um, throughout the 1990s, and, and there's, and, and like I thought reality t and the noughties, I thought reality TV was gone with Big Brother. You know, <laughs> yep. Big Brother yeah. was huge. Yeah. I was like, nah, that's looking crap now. There's no way it's gone down the gurgler. But reality TV's gone to strength to strength. But, and, but why it's related to, and, and I can hear people switching off now, why it's related <laughs> to a bigger vibe about politics is there's a certain theory that, that particularly domestic and homely shows give people comfort at a time of great change. And, and the, the key term for us in politics, people, is globalisation, right? Mm. There's all these sorts of different new people coming on. Your economy's changing. You know, all this, uh, this uh, money's coming from China and all over the place. It's destabilising your job. You never know if you're going to get a... You know, and this is the food industry is, is, is symptomatic of this. You never know if you're going to get a permanent <laughs> job. Uh, as starting in the 80s, 90s, and in the noughties. I'd say neoliberalism then more than globalisation. Yeah. And <laughs> so, so what's the offset for that? Well, you go home and you, you watch your home shows. And, and you turn inwards more mm. and you start having a resort style living at home and stuff like that. And the TV, you watch Border Security, which is bigger than State of Origin uh, during the noughties too, you know. We start watching those sort of shows that turn us inwards because we're afraid of a, a changing world, logically speaking. But that's why food shows interest me somewhat, particularly um, MasterChef, because it, maybe it shows a sign of us not needing those comforts a bit more. So mm. if those, if the food, if a desire for food that is dynamic, that challenges us a bit, that that makes us look about our own eating habits, you know, that that suggests a certain desire to not be inward looking anymore. I could mm. be wrong, but that's why I'm interested in culture. I'm interested in what culture says about politics, about the way we live, about, about the way we relate to one another. No. So those food mm. shows are very, very interesting in that regard. I think it's, um, yeah, MasterChef's an interesting one because they do i mean simon and i being involved in the food and hospitality industries and sort of having our fingers on the pulse of food trends and what's happening in food media a lot of the time come across the guests to MasterChef a long time before they appear on MasterChef. So people like Joxon Frillo, who has or had Arana restaurant in Adelaide oh, yeah. and was championing Indigenous produce and working with the Arana Foundation to establish an Indigenous um, an Indigenous food and native food database. 
and you know has probably has been the most influential person in you know food media and 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 the most influential popular chef on promoting indigenous food um you know he came to MasterChef and has imparted his background on that and and that's another thing that sort of feeds into that challenge that you're talking about kim and the same when it comes to um other chefs that they have like they've had josh nyland on the program who is um all about seafood sustainability and shows us that fish can be something that you use 90 percent of the weight of each fish in your cooking rather than what has traditionally been 50% um, because, you know, guts and bones and gills and all those sorts of things traditionally would always get thrown away. So it is interesting to see MasterChef on the other side of the coin in terms of, um, you know, bringing these sorts of ideas to a new popular audience, to people who are interested in food and might have been, uh, you know, fans of you know just your more sort of sensational and and fluffy cooking shows in the past but being challenged with you know their ideas about about what food is so i think that, f- that food media um and cooking shows that can have a massive influence on the way we think because everyone everyone cooks or everyone eats at mm. minimum mm. so everyone has and i find this owning restaurants everyone has a fucking opinion about food um because everyone can do it it's very accessible um you can, you know, it, it's not unachievable. It's, you know, it's kind of difference of um, why, you know, scientists at CERN aren't celebrities because you, you, most people can't understand what they're doing and can't re- recreate it, replicate it. Chefs like, are relatable. Mm. Like everyone cooks, they cook food, they do it. They might do it slightly better, might do it more fancy, but it, it seems achievable. So people really buy into that. And like seeing how people. Um, Want to want to be at home and, and turn inwards and, and see something that, that's comforting. I think you can you can watch a chef and be like, I could do that. Well, that doesn't look that hard. Like, oh, I can. T-. And you and you can you can like you. Can, well, they you- kind of like they kind of create that equalization with the contestants, right? Yeah. Because you've got a, a chef on there showing this this amazing expertise butchering a, a kingfish into a hundred different parts mm. and the contestants going wow and then they participate in well, a, a challenge chef, they play off they play the chef against contestant well, there you go and, yeah. and, and I mean so that, that just shows it's like they're like oh we're not that far from a chef and it's like very different things like being a chef as a job and, and mm. cooking a single dish on a show or cooking a dish at home yeah have the stamina for like what 15 hours yeah yeah exactly so I mean it's, it's, it's a kind of false equivalency in that way that they're comparing two different things but mm. yeah they, they, cooking shows definitely with their viewership and because people into it can really um, dictate what people see as as right so like i said having something like a a team australia when they're just cooking anglo-french celtic dishes the whole time just seems completely pointless and mm, i think mostly british dishes well yeah i mean that, but that, french that's techniques, the, which is british <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing i think i think why australia is 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 desperate to find some culture in a, in a young country and to be like this is australian food and it really isn't mm. there's australian food is is aboriginal culture and indigenous ingredients so that's just what it is there's there's no white australian i mean to me it just food cuisine Comes back to the culture. question of like, what is Australia? What is Australian food? What is Australian mm. culture? Um, and you know, I think the show kind of maybe tries. I don't know if they try to tackle that question, but the question you know arises, and I think they fail to answer it really. Mm. Um, you know, the show kind of insinuates that Australian culture and Australian food is white male culture and white male food, well, which is British based. At, at two times, at one point, they were they were trying to. By the whole show was trying to say that Australia is this amazing. Um, mingling of, of dishes and cuisines and then they said right you guys cook just Chinese food you guys mm. cook mm. just just Venezuelan food and Australia uh, you cook the stuff that your ancestors cooked so having saying that Australia is multicultural and having the Australian team cook European dishes 
it was just just it just kind of negated the whole point of the show mm. with that one team. Mm-hmm. Which is quite ironic. It's been a great. Um, uh, uh, I've I've been I've been wrapped by to be able to think about this. It shows the importance of food to understanding culture in many ways. And and Blair was saying I've been thinking for ages about as a refugee too. What does it mean to be Australian? Because refugees often have to remake their sense of identity, right? So. So, and, and I think through, that's why this show is still very important to me. It does show what's, um, that it does show what's right and wrong about multiculturalism, but it helps us think about what's Australian, what's Venezuelan, what's Vietnamese. Mm. Ultimately for me, once again, uh, the footnote about being a philosophical wanker, these <laughs> cultural and food boundaries are imagined. They're imagined boundaries, right? But that's not to say that they fake or they don't exist, at least for me. Uh, but it's to emphasise that the imagining is an ongoing act and process that we all take part in. So, and and then and then and for me, I, I, it helps me think about, well, what does it mean? What how how permeable are those boundaries? Should we how should we move in with between them? It doesn't mean that I can never cook Venezuelan food, all right? Surely it means rather that that what 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 we should aim for is that is that all of those. Boundaries are permeable, but we cross them with respect mm. and with a certain amount of respect and, and excitement and, and open-heartedness and open-mindedness and humility. And, and then we can, you know what I mean? And, and whereas and there, there, I think, is the problem with some, some aspects of multiculturalism in Australia and, and, and which Pooh um, <laughs> Plate of Origin highlights is that, is that they're not crossing those. Those boundaries are put up. What we mean by centralised, those boundaries are, are, are put up as if that they're they're natural and and mm. and there forever, and that and they stagnant. can't be crossed and stagnant, mm. and, and b that there is a hierarchy within those different pockets of foods and cultures. Mm. So I think uh, thinking about it, I'm so glad to think about it more because you, you sort of write things and you sort of don't even you know. But it's only through talking about it like this, and mm. uh, I think that we start to develop some of those ideas. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, fundamentally, I think um, um, th- that's an important. Uh, issue for me uh, and that the show highlights what are food and cultural boundaries what does it mean to be australian it is imagined but it's meaningful it's meaningful we want to make that imagining exciting and as meaningful as possible and our food in turn as exciting as tasty as meaningful as possible you know Mm. it's it's interesting because it seems like in other you know in a lot of other countries and i guess this is just a factor of australia being a such a young country but like if you Look, look to Vietnam and you look at the French influence on Vietnamese cuisine or, you know, all sorts of different m- cultural melting pots and the ways that cuisine has been influenced. There's, there's, what's the name of the, it's a Peruvian, the Peruvian Japanese fusion because there's a huge Japanese yeah, culture yeah. in Peru. I can't remember what the name of it's called. Um, and that's, that's, its own thing like and and that's revered for for the for this combination of cultures and there's fine dining chefs over there that take it to the nth degree and and things like that and but it's never sort of defined in in the ways that we're sort of talking about it's like australia is a young country and we're struggling for a food identity mm. um and people are sort of saying that fusion and australia's like australian food is multicultural food and you know and now we have indigenous ingredients and in indigenous food traditions to talk about and things like that but it seems like other places in the world don't struggle as much as we do to try to set these boundaries and to try to you know Give give Australian food or give their food a I think a label. Historically, um, fusion food would have happened when different people from different countries 
were invaded or, or moved and they had to use the ingredients were there so they used their their history their techniques uh, their palate to interpret ingredients now we're in a world where you can get you know hold of everything um that kind of pressure to to create that slightly more unified food face just isn't there Mm. so so now it's it's kind of how do we interpret this and i think yeah it's it's a mm. it's, it's a complicated issue is that, v- vietnam's just... interesting here because vietnam's such a mix there's mm. no especially vietnam's such a like it's it's geography is interesting because it's there with china mm. it's southeast asia influence on the south side the french are in there the americans are in there the soviet influence too so it's such a mix uh, and and I think, and I lived in Vietnam for a while too, when I was a baby, but also um, later <laughs> on. But but it, um, but I, when I when I, it's hard to actually sort of dissect what Vietnamese think about certain foods like pho or mm. things, particularly around pho or things that they say are distinctively Vietnamese. Right? I, I think for Viet's. They, they operate, and maybe all of us like this, they, we operate on different levels about their appreciation and claim to food as part of their identity. So for, I think, Vietnamese would think in their gut and in their heart, which is important, it's a Vietnamese food, it's true as true can be, there's no <laughs> appropriation, you know, that's it. Even, and, and sort of north and south differences too, but whatever. It's fully Viet, it's always been Viet, they feel it in their gut and heart. But they know in their mind that there's Chinese and there's French influences with pho too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, but I think, I think that awareness is good. And know that food operates and culture operates in different parts uh, of your sense of being. Uh, and, and, just, and, and one could celebrate that. I wonder if that's a model for Australia. Australia is, you know, maybe we'll have essential things, the lamington or whatever. I don't even know the lamington. I'm pretty sure. Pavlova we fight with. I mean, that's New kiwi. Zealand. Yeah, so. so there, so, but yeah, but... I, I to me, Australian just... food's more about, like, the ingredients, like macadamias, mango, uh, like, avocado. I mean, I know avocado's, like, elsewhere too, but I guess these are the quintessential things that, like, I miss about Australia when I'm overseas because you can't access those, you know, fresh, good quality ingredients. Yeah, that's a great point. I never uh, thought about that. I what is Australian food? What you is guys it? know, you tell I've, us. I've, I've been asking this question for eight years since I moved here, which led me to using native ingredients in, in my restaurant so much um there's, there's really like there's confectionery australians seem to hang on to <laughs> and then there's kind of there's european dishes like you know meat pie like which has become quintessentially australian but it, it's not something that we australia invented as it were mm. um but it's kind of held up in that kind of cultural sense. So it's just very confusing that, that really, realistically, why, why Australia is not bringing anything to the food picture that they haven't kind of taken from somewhere else, which is why I think there's a bit of a fight here, is we should really just be embracing... Avo on toast, mate. First time. With some chili flakes, some garlic. Someone. No, do you know what? To be honest, like, and this is this is separate from what Australian food is because we will talk about indigenous ingredients in in a sec and and obviously it's something that you're really passionate about and I think that it is and like you mentioned macadamias all those sorts of things there's so many out there and it is the future but one thing that Australia has done is exported a cafe culture to the world mm-hmm. that mm. didn't exist anywhere until it existed in Australia. We made and Starbucks yeah, fail. Us, <laughs> That's that, exactly. We made Starbucks <laughs> fail. Proudest proud moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so That's we really have we food, have. Yeah. There's people in Australia that led um, a coffee culture that respected international coffee producers in mm. developing countries and ensured that they were paid enough and had a reverence for coffee that wasn't wasn't mi- mirrored anywhere else in the world didn't and it come from italian immigrants in well, melbourne i mean <laughs> that's the funny thing is that like <laughs> it was bought here 
Australia made it its own thing, made it better, and then it kind of got exported mm. back. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's definitely it's. It, I mean. Yes, obviously it's it, it it will have you know that Italian Italian mm. background. I do know some um, people, you know, traditional Italian coffee roasters and things like that. And the approach is very very different to yeah, the way yeah. that Australia mm. has progressed in terms of in terms of coffee and and the science and the artistry and how mm. bloody seriously well, I think they I, take. It. Well, I think <laughs> so, Australia should, yeah. should accept that that yeah. like. We're not inventing particularly new things, but we might be making them better. Yeah, like like, well, I, like I love the fact that you got access to all these amazing ingredients, and that you know avocado, not an Australian <laughs> ingredient, has become a quintessentially Australian ingredient because people play, love it so fucking much. Um, so I mean, I, th- that's what I love about here, and I think people worrying about like, oh, what's Australian food? It's like it's indigenous food, and that's it. Like, let's just move on from that. Argument. Yeah, mm. like, like we yeah, what's Australian food versus like what do I miss about Australian? Like food in Australia when I'm overseas, and it's yeah. not necessarily Australian food, but it's just the way we engage in food culture and food, like just mm. cooking or restaurants. I miss so many good like Australian restaurants when I'm overseas, mm. um, and a lot of the times they are multicultural restaurants. And I just think, I don't know, they're just really good here uh, mm. in comparison to to elsewhere. Um, I think I don't know. We have a, a bit of respect for food here, particularly the ingredients and the quality um, of it. So my two cents on that. Can I, can I, <laughs> yeah, can I ask a it. question of you three? That that it's I think it touches upon uh, a lot of the things um, uh, we've been exploring today around issues of judgment and authenticity of food and of cultures. So I'd put it this way: like, when is it okay to? What judgment should we make? And when is it okay to eat butter chicken and sell butter chicken? Or you could replace it with Mongolian lamb because. As I understand it, they're dishes that, that, that come from, associated with huge civilizations and countries. But th- as I understand it, those people would have never eat those things. Mm. So there's other things like pad thai where they eat them on the street, right? But these are totally made for a, a, a Western larger palettes. Western palate, right? I mean, like the curry's mm. made in England for like... Like I don't, think, any, I don't think anywhere in India they'd sell butter chicken yeah, that's I mean, not for Western people. Butter chicken is, I think, a, a British chefs and uh, British mm. and new restaurants kind of claim it mm. it's based on like chicken makani which I think is based on something else which is based on mm. something else which is tradi- it's traditional oh. oh that's a good um, I've had it with chips once in the yeah, UK oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, chips, chips, chips and curry sauce that. in the UK but it oh, is no. okay sometimes but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is okay sometimes I've really got onto butter chicken after, after avoiding it's it great. I've actually never had it after avoiding it for <laughs> ages because I thought it was inauthentic right mm. it's tasty as for me mm. it was tasty so, who cares so, man like eat it yeah, but I think I that like I mentioned, there's, there's a kind of badge of honor of of not eating butter chicken, yeah, of, of going for like like what's what's, what's the chef's like you know what's the chef special like you know what do the what do the Indian people eat when they're here like like <laughs> yeah, like yeah. there's this kind of thing of we want we want to get the the real deal we don't want to f- I think it possibly comes from a place of of wanting to embrace and, and, and not wanting just to eat the the, the westernized version mm. to wanting to actually have the, the you know the the real experience so that that comes from a kind of a, a place of of wanting to embrace this multiculturalism yeah, um, yeah. but then also the, the, the also the, the, the backlash to snobby like if if if, if you like butter chicken eat the butter chicken mm. yeah, they're probably yeah. making better money off the butter chicken than the fancy dish yeah well I get, so. I, like it comes down to that like there's there's a multiple food can play so many different roles right it's to nourish you it's to bring you together with your friends and your family it's it's to enjoy so yeah mm. if you want to if you're hung over on a Sunday and <laughs> you know you're thinking about what to eat for dinner and like butter chicken is going to hit the spot then of course it's delicious like butter chicken's great and stuff but like 
that's that's where it stops. You know what I mean? Like if you if you want to show an interest in you know regional Indian cuisine, then that's a different role you're looking for food to play. So it just sort of depends on where you are and 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 stuff. And I guess it's things like the food media and uh, and a growing reverence and you know identification of the differences between regional cuisine in maybe Vietnam or in China or wherever it may be and seeing these things creep into the mainstream and stories begin to be told where food plays that other role of of being able to you know make people aware of um culture you know international culture and 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 telling these these stories yeah, and things the, like that as well there's, so there's stories of uh, Delia, Delia Smith, is Delia Smith a thing in Australia? Yeah, yeah, I know, I, I like her. Like yeah. like yeah. What's she's Delia Smith? She's like, she's like, <laughs> a, like she's the OG British food celebrity, like yeah, right. celebrity chef. Like she was on yeah. heaps of shows, but there was like a, a thing in I think it was the nineties, like the Delia effect. Like if she used, and you know, eighties, nineties, if she used ginger in one of the recipes <laughs> on a show, suddenly all the supermarkets... Waitrose. Like, well, did, I mean, oh no more God. ginger. It, it wasn't that long ago that like, you know, big supermarkets didn't stock these things. Like, we're quite lucky in the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Like, but yeah, like she, she would use a product on her show and it would either sell out in every supermarket or the supermarket would just have to stock it. And these things became staples. Like, there is a massive effect um, that you know, TV can have mm. on, the, on people's mm. habits. Things, yeah, MasterChef very much had that effect. Um, I know... I mean, I've been a vegan since I think MasterChef's been on air, uh, vegetarian at least. And um, I do know that, you know, a lot of people didn't know that you could overcook steak or you could, uh, you had to rest steak, all these different mm. things about meat cooking. Um, and my family were like, whoa, we have to rest meat before we eat it? That explains <laughs> things. Um, or me growing up thinking that, like, I don't know, chewing on some tough steak was fun. I was like, yeah, this is how meat is. Uh, and it's not, you know, and MasterChef brings these realizations of, um, you know, like different preparations um, of, of how to, you know, cook food, but also different ingredients and different ways to mix the ingredients and it's exciting I think um, you know f- whether it's fusion or whether it's um, as you say like supposed to be um, what do you say like true, true blue or you know yeah, yeah. food or whatever um, I think it does uh, enable us to explore these things but I think we also still have to ensure as you know the article talked about that we wrote or as we're talking about today um, that we appreciate these cultures rather than just um, kind of exotic- exotify them um, mm. or see them as like unique or different or just treat them in a different way you know i think we should very much um appreciate rather than yeah other than mm. kim what's, yeah what's so much it? to think about really yeah isn't it? i can uh, see you deep in uh, thought uh, there deep in thought. <laughs> I, I do i'll go back to my um i'll go back to my the the 15 great years of my life that i spent working for free in a bakery you know <laughs> and, I, I, and now and then you can make some good bread no, well, this is the thing. I can't. Oh. I can't. This is the thing. So that's why I, I'm so interested in these ideas of authenticity that, that often people will see me now, but I, it's what um, Stefan was saying about you've got to, there's different mindsets you take to food. And so I suppose that the awareness, and you take to people who are making food, and I suppose it's, it's about self-awareness and awareness of other people rather than particularly what you're eating and, 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 and what that's about. But, but yeah, like, I, I don't know much about food. We sort of do, we, we worked, my family had bakery for like 20 years, worked our guts out and dedicated to it, but it wasn't, it was just making money. It was just mm. making money. I think that, I don't want to play to that stereotype too, because there are other beers who are well into food and things like that, <laughs> well into their bread and things like that. But we were in. It was there was a hole in the market. We worked our guts out. You got to get up at three. 
you do the books and it's done at nine, you know? But that's like really so interesting. Many migrants, but, but we weren't really that particular. I'm dedicated to that lifestyle. I still get up early. I'm dedicated to that work ethic, although that, that's waning mercifully. But, but, but the actual food itself, when people come and say, oh, Kimba, I remember you at the bakery, <laughs> you know, all that French. And, they, and I can understand what they're doing. It doesn't bother me. Oh, I know you're 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 a culture a literati sort of person. You must have bred some, so meaningful to the Viet's the French influence. I remember when Ho Chi Minh was a Diem Minh Phu. All that stuff. Oh my God! No, no, we're just trying to make money. We're just trying to make money off you white people. You know, the caramel yeah. slice means as much to me as the Saigon roll. I was saying you can make good bread because bread is hard to make. Like, oh, it took me eight years to make a good dough. Um, but I find it interesting you talk about that story, and I think it's in stark contrast to a lot of the stories told on shows like MasterChef, where it's like so-called and i'm using quote marks here the good ethnic of that story of like my family worked in a restaurant and we you know love food and blah blah blah. and it's very much kind of like that story that a lot of um uh non-white contestants on MasterChef have to kind of i guess play to if that makes sense like the stereotypes that are there um you know you don't have people going oh i just want you know did that in my family thing to make money like you know the complexity is that there is sometimes foods not 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 reflecting of culture yeah it's, a, it's an economic it thing. Is. it's an economic it's thing. fascinating that you thing. talk about that kim because you see you see in food media as well that like the places that have a really really genuine and and heartfelt you know story to tell about how the chef got into food and the family history and how much the food means to them and all these sorts of things are the places that are you know, revered and, and highlighted by food media a lot of the time, like these authentic Italians, <laughs> the sons of the of, – of, or the daughters of the uh, the Ligon Street, yeah, you know, yeah, old yeah. school people in Melbourne stories. now, you know, rejuvenating Italian cuisine in Melbourne or w- whatever it might be. But a lot of the time, and especially in hospitality, number one, it's an economic decision. Yeah. It should be anyway. I mean, it's not all the time. But, like, if, you, if you're not making money, then the story's not worth anything because you don't have a restaurant. Mm. And, um, and yeah, it's just fascinating because, you know, there are a lot of people out there. Like, I mean, we look at burger shops and, you know, pizza shops and mm. things like that. Now, you don't have to be Italian to open a pizza shop. It's just a good financial decision if you want to open a restaurant because dough doesn't cost much. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. There's, a, there's another question I'd bu- I'm dying to ask Go for it. food experts that I have thought there are probably a couple of dishes um, that, that, that I've seen Vietnamese make that are homely dishes, you know, homely food, that search for authenticity is often connected to homely food, mm. stuff you don't have to think about. That, that, that my mum and I know other mums, mostly mums, don't have to think about. They whip up, but almost never see in restaurants. I, I wonder, um, I think there's an incredible desire for those sorts of food, the secret hipster thing. I bet you haven't heard about <laughs> this sort of dish, right? <laughs> yes. but, but somehow speaks to authenticity. Uh, have you come across, are there other cultures that have those sort of foods? And why aren't they? Like I once had a mate and said, who lived in China, he was a white bloke here, and he lived in Vietnam. He said, why don't restaurants make the food that you eat at home? So that's the question I have. Like, is that a, is that a fair question to ask of, of various ethnic groups? I don't care who they are. And, and of the restaurant industry, um, that, that he asked, why don't you make in the restaurant and sell in the restaurant what you eat at home? Mm. I it, think... Um yeah, I mean, they do and they don't. It depends on it depends on what the restaurant is. I think, and I mean, I'm just like trying to sell one of the books that I have for sale <laughs> on my website at the moment. But a book that I did called Farm to Flame um, was about a, a guy called Nicola Cochier and his restaurant in the Southern Highlands. And he's like his his dishes 
are fine dining dishes. You want a chef's hat and they're quite delicate and he does use tweezers to put things on dishes every now and then. <laughs> but like so many of them, a, a really large number of them are essentially the flavors of his childhood and what his nonna and, and those sorts of things and, and, and the influential food people in his life cooked. And he's mm. actually reproducing that, but just adding some polish and sophistication to put it on a nice handmade ceramic plate in a restaurant to, you know, give to the people that, that want to expect it's something. It's hard to make something fine dining, like, like anything. You just mm. fucking build it up a little bit, garnish it. With some mm. stuff. Like it's, it's really like, people say like, oh, it doesn't lend itself to fine dining. Fine dining is like, it's down to plating and Literally. setting. Like, it's nothing weird. I mean, I mean, the, and smaller. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, can, the interesting thing might be is that um, something like like French cuisine and traditional French cuisine is seen as this automatically seen as this fine dining cuisine. It's you know, tornadoes mm-hmm. Rossini and it's foie gras, but that's not how most of France eats mm. and historically eaten. Mm. Um, it's bread, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bread. It's you know, it's lots of lots of very like peasant homely dishes. Um, so it's it's interesting that the you know media and people's opinions of, of that cuisine would, would go straight to restaurant cuisine rather than the home cuisine. Mm. Whereas when you talk about traditional with, with you know, Vietnamese cuisine, it's straight away it's it's home cuisine and not what restaurant cuisine might be. Mm. So kind of, I think everyone has people have that that uh, sort of image in their head of, of what constitutes authenticity, um, whether whether that's that's true or not. I mean, also mm. the obsession of street food. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, fine dining or restaurants or whatever. Mm. Um, particularly looking at, looking at Southeast Asian cultures that have been, you know, I mean, this has been on Play of Origin and MasterChef and, you know, narratives uh, in both those shows. Um, and I think that's, that, I think it contributes to the stereotype that Southeast Asian cultures don't have so-called fine dining because everyone just goes street food, like automatically goes, mm. um, you know, to that thought, um, which is, you know, a ridiculous stereotype as, as we just discussed. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, even like the, the Greek team in Plate of Origin, the first team was like, Greek food is about having big plates of food. <laughs> and then that was what they were kind of, they were, they were shown <laughs> to be. It. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and that, that was, that was I mean, the thing we've gone back to poo, um, <laughs> Plate of Origin. Um, the, the, the decisions the producers made of what teams to pick when they helped see it, would have had heaps of applications and they've gone, oh, these French guys are going to be great. One's got a big old moustache and a top knot. The other one is, is like doing press-ups in the kitchen and they're both arrogant. They'll represent France for us. Um, the Greek team, oh, it's two two mums. They'll represent Greek. <laughs> so the decisions they, they made of what teams to pick and to, and to choose and then obviously how to edit it, um, mm. th- that, that, that's, that's telling as to what they think. Um, I don't think they thought too much about it, but what mm. they they thought was authentic for each country. Mm. Yeah, I like. I, I think that there is a movement in food now of it is moving away from fine dining. Like restaurant culture is has changed so much, and I think there's a show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious that is is a reverence for 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 the artistry behind um, food that would be considered, you know basic like fried chicken or mm. pizza or noodles or you know dump i can't remember dumpling yeah, like dumpling. you know what i mean and it, and it really goes into depth and sort of follows international chefs around the world one's a uh pizza there's a japanese pizza chef in tokyo um that you know they sort of display it in the in, it's just such a he's such an artist and he only does margarita pizza or two types of pizza on the menu and things like that and it, and it's 
Yeah, so I think, I don't know, with, with the question about sort of are there, where does home food fit into restaurant culture and stuff now? I think it's there. Um, maybe not exactly what we'd be cooking at home and, and stuff, but I think that there's this growing appreciation that um, what has been traditionally considered basic food, just your your standard weeknight thing, there there can be artistry and, you know, reverence and all the all the mm. traits that chefs have and, and passionate chefs want to put into their food, put into anything, mm. really. Mm. What a valuable insight. I feel like that foods are a reflection of a global vibe, this search for authenticity. You can mm. see it in fashion, in politics, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. A distrust of stuff with sheen on it. That, that's been highly marketized, that, uh, that's been processed to the nth degree, you know, mm. in food and in so many other things, uh, the whole hipster culture generally, I find, which is a, is a search for authenticity. Mm. Mm. I mean, like I was saying before, the fact that everyone eats, everyone's interested in food at some level, I guess um, what people's food choices are is a representation of, of kind of up to, you know, some like up to global politics and, and, and what is going on in the world and what people are searching for probably is a representation of, of what is happening uh, on a what kind of world scale. Mm. Okay, guys, we do have to wrap up now, but um, do you guys want to quickly touch on anything else before we finish off? Um. Sure. I don't know. I just love food. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's been a great honor. It's been a great honor to, to think through and talk through uh, food and culture and politics and the, and the media and how they all come together. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a great honor to, uh, to listen to you two, two guys too. Yeah. Well, it's been yeah. it's been wonderful for us as well. We went around a bit, but I think yeah, overall message we need better representation mm. in media on shows and people making the decisions. Um, for these shows mm, and that, true and, representation and, and, rather yeah, than just token um, play of origin very much highlighted that fact mm. Mm. yeah um okay well guys um if you come across anything in your studies uh in your in your work um that's food for thought as it were uh before we're next in canberra let us know and uh we'd love to sort of jump back in and 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 touch on a different aspect of food and culture and politics and things like that because you know the work we do that's very hospo centric a lot of the time um and and sort of catered for people that are in the food industry like us um it's fantastic to sort of step outside that and talk about broader broader issues so welcome back anytime awesome thank you glad we could feed each other (laughs) thanks so much guys Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.